spiritual journey, according to St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologiae by Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. Preface The pages which follow are addressed especially to you, priests and seminarians of the Priestly Society of St. Pius X, to you who, on this day, will renew your promise in this Catholic and Roman society, officially approved by the ordinary and by the Roman authorities. If the Holy Ghost permits me to put into writing the spiritual thoughts which follow, before entering, if it please God, into the bosom of the Holy Trinity, I will be allowed to realize the dream of which he gave me a glimpse one day in the Cathedral of Dakar. In the face of the progressive degradation of the priestly ideal, my dream was to transmit the Catholic priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in all its doctrinal purity and in all its missionary charity, just as he conferred it on his apostles, just as the Roman Church always transmitted it until the middle of the 20th century. How should I carry out what appeared then to me as the sole solution to revive the Church and Christianity? It was still a dream, but there appeared to me already the need not only to confer the authentic priesthood, to teach not only the sana doctrina approved by the Church, but also to transmit the profound and unchanging spirit of the Catholic priesthood and of the Christian spirit, essentially bound to the great prayer of our Lord, which his sacrifice on the cross expresses eternally. The priestly truth is totally dependent upon this prayer. That is why I have always been haunted by the desire to show the means for true priestly sanctification according to the fundamental principles of Catholic doctrine concerning Christian and priestly sanctification. Gladly I borrow the ever-so-expressive words of St. Paul, For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely as your servants in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 Remember your prelates who have spoken the word of God to you. Consider how they ended their lives and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. Jesus Christus edi odie et in saecula. Hebrews 13, 7-8 Behold their faith! It is because the reign of our Lord is no longer the center of attention and of activity of those who are our prepositi, our prelates, that they lose the sense of God and of the Catholic priesthood, and that we can no longer follow them. O Immaculate Virgin, who by the extraordinary privilege of your Immaculate Conception dost teach us all of the fundamental truths of our faith, and hast merited to be the mother of the eternal priest, form in us the priest of Jesus Christ, and make us less unworthy to participate in his divine priesthood. Marcel Lefebvre, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, 1989. Prologue very dear readers, at the close of a long life, for I was born in 1905 and I now see the year 1990, I can say that it has been marked by exceptional world events, three world wars, 
that which took place from 1914 to 1918, that which took place from 1939 to 1945, and that of the Second Vatican Council from 1962 to 1965. The disasters caused by these three wars, and especially by the last of them, are incalculable in the domain of material ruins, but even more so in the spiritual realm. The first two paved the way for the war inside the church by facilitating the ruin of Christian institutions and the domination of Freemasonry, which has become so powerful that it has deeply infiltrated the governing body of the church with its liberal modernist doctrine. By the grace of God, instructed as early as my seminary days in Rome about the mortal danger of these influences by the rector of the French seminary, the venerated Father Le Floch, and by the professors Reverend Fathers Vertli, Frey, and Le Roelec, I was able to verify during my entire priestly life how their calls to vigilance, based on the teachings of the popes and above all of St. Pius X, were justified. I was able to verify at my own cost how this vigilance was justified not only doctrinally, but also by the hatred it provoked in the liberal laity and clerics, a diabolical hatred. The innumerable contacts occasioned by the duties conferred upon me with the highest civil and ecclesiastical authorities in numerous countries, particularly in France and in Rome, showed me very clearly that opinion was generally favorable to all those who were disposed to compromise with the liberal Masonic ideas, and unfavorable towards those determined to remain firm in traditional doctrine. I believe I can say that few persons in the Church have been able to become as well informed as I have been able myself, not by my own will, but by the will of Providence. As a missionary in Gabon, Contact with civil authorities was obviously more frequent than as vicar at Le Marais de l'Homme in the Diocese of Lille. This time of mission was marked by the Gaullist invasion. We were able to witness the victory of Freemasonry against the Catholic order of Pétain. It was the invasion of the barbarians without faith or law. Perhaps one day my memoirs will give some details on these years from 1945 to 1960 and will illustrate this war inside the church. Read the books of Monsieur Marteau on this period. They are revealing. The rupture between liberalism and the doctrine of the church was growing both in Rome and outside Rome. The liberals were able to choose popes like John XXIII and Paul VI, causing their doctrine to triumph in the council, a marvelous means of making the whole church adopt their errors. I was present at the dramatic contest between Cardinal Bea, representing liberalism, and Cardinal Ottaviani, representing the doctrine of the church, when it was clear after the vote of the seventy cardinals that the rupture was a fact. To those who were not engaged in self-deception, it was evident that the support of the Pope would go to the Liberals. And now this problem was exhibited in broad daylight. What would the bishops do, aware of the danger which threatened the Church? 
all could see the triumph within the church of new ideas born of the revolution and the lodges. 250 cardinals and bishops rejoiced at their victory. 250 were horror-stricken. 1,750 tried not to ask questions but simply followed the Pope. We shall see to it later. The council proceeds and the reforms multiply as quickly as possible. The persecution of traditional cardinals and bishops begins, and soon we witness the persecution of priests and religious everywhere who attempt to preserve tradition. It is an open war against the church's past and her institutions. Aggiornamento, aggiornamento. The result of this council is much worse than that of the revolution. The executions and the martyrdoms take place in silence. Tens of thousands of priests and religious abandon their vows. Others leave the religious life. Cloisters disappear. Vandalism invades the churches. Altars are destroyed. Crosses disappear. The seminaries and novitiates are emptied. The civil societies that are still Catholic become secular under pressure from Roman authorities. Our Lord should no longer reign here below. Catholic teaching becomes ecumenical and liberal. Catechisms are changed and are no longer Catholic. The Gregorian University in Rome has become coeducational, with St. Thomas no longer the basis of the teaching. In the face of this universal and public state of affairs, what is the duty of bishops who are officially responsible for the institution which is the church? What will they do? Many consider this institution to be untouchable, even if it no longer conforms to the end for which it was instituted. Those who occupy the seat of Peter and the bishops are responsible. They are the ones who said that the church had to adapt to the times, that the excesses would pass, that it is easier to accept the revolution in their diocese, lead it rather than resist it. Among traditionalists, a good number, henceforward despised by Rome, handed in their resignations. Some, like Archbishop Morcillo of Madrid and Archbishop McQuaid of Dublin, would die of sadness, as well as many good priests. It is obvious that if many bishops had acted like Monsignor de Castromayer, bishop of Campos in Brazil, the ideological revolution within the church could have been limited because we must not be afraid to affirm that the current Roman authorities since John the Twenty-Third and Paul the Sixth have made themselves active collaborators of international Jewish Freemasonry and of world socialism. John Paul II is above all a communist-loving politician at the service of a world communism retaining a hint of religion. He openly attacks all of the anti-communist governments and does not bring, by his travels, any Catholic revival. These conciliar Roman authorities cannot but oppose savagely and violently any reaffirmation of the traditional magisterium. The errors of the council and its reforms remain the official standard consecrated by the profession of faith of Cardinal Ratzinger in March 1989. 
no one denied that I was recognized as an official member of the Episcopal Corps. The Annuario Pontificio confirmed it, presenting me as Archbishop Bishop Emeritus of the Diocese of Toul until the moment of the consecration of bishops in 1988. It is under this title of Catholic Archbishop that I have rendered service to the Church, ravaged by its own people, by founding a society for the formation of true Catholic priests, the Priestly Society of St. Pius X, duly approved by Monsignor Charrier, Bishop of Fribourg, Switzerland, and endowed with a letter of commendation by Cardinal Wright, Prefect of the Congregation of the Clergy. I rightly foresaw that this society, which wanted to be attached to all the traditions of the Church, doctrinal, disciplinary, liturgical, etc., would not remain for very long approved by the liberal destroyers of the Church. But the mystery is that there were not fifty or a hundred bishops to act as Bishop de Castro Meyer and myself did, as true successors of the Apostles, against impostors. It is not pride and self-importance to say that God in his merciful wisdom saved the heritage of his priesthood, of his grace, of his revelation, through these two bishops. It is not we who chose ourselves, but God has guided us in upholding all the riches of his incarnation and of his redemption. Those who feel they must minimize these riches and de deny them can only condemn us. This can only confirm their schism with our Lord and his kingdom by means of their secularism and their apostate ecumenism. I can hear them say, You exaggerate! There are many good bishops who pray, who have the faith, who are edifying. They may have been saints, but as soon as they accept the false religious liberty, hence the secular state, false ecumenism, and hence the admission of many ways of salvation, liturgical reform, and hence the practical negation of the sacrifice of the Mass, the new catechisms with all their errors and heresies, they are officially contributing to the revolution within the Church and to its destruction. The current Pope and bishops no longer hand down our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather a sentimental, superficial, charismatic religiosity through which, as a general rule, the true grace of the Holy Ghost no longer passes. This new religion is not the Catholic religion. It is sterile, incapable of sanctifying society and the family. One single thing is necessary for the continuation of the Catholic Church. Fully Catholic bishops who make no compromise with error, who found Catholic seminaries, where young candidates for the priesthood can nourish themselves with the milk of true doctrine, placing our Lord Jesus Christ at the center of their intellects, of their wills, of their hearts, who have a living faith, profound charity, a devotion without bounds, uniting them to our Lord. They will ask, as did St. Paul, that we pray for them, that they advance in understanding and wisdom of the Mysterium Christi, of the mystery of Christ, where they will discover all of the divine treasures. 
Let them prepare themselves to preach Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified, importune, opportune, in season, out of season. 2 Timothy 4, 2 Let us be Christians, so that all the human, rational sciences may be enlightened by the light of Christ, who is the light of the world, and who gives to each man his intelligence when he comes into the world. The evil of the council is the ignorance of Jesus Christ and of his kingdom. It is the evil of the fallen angels, the evil which is the way to hell. It is because St. Thomas had an exceptional knowledge of the mystery of Christ that the church chose him as her doctor. Let us love to read and reread the papal encyclicals on St. Thomas and the necessity of following him in the formation of priests, so that we shall not hesitate to proclaim the richness of his writings and, above all, of his Summa Theologiae in communicating to us an unchanging faith and the surest means to arrive at prayer and contemplation, those celestial shores which will then never be separated from our souls, inflamed by the Spirit of Jesus, regardless of the ups and downs of this earthly life. Marcel Lefebvre, Saint-Michel-en-Brenn, January 29, 1990, Feast of St. Francis de Sales. Dedication under the patronage of the Virgin Mary. Desirous of placing those who aspire to sanctity, and especially to priestly sanctity, in the best condition for arriving there, it seemed to me indispensable to evoke the particular action which the Virgin Mary has by the will of God in this effort to attain holiness, and this even before considering the elements and essential steps towards sanctity. If the word incarnate, who had absolutely no need of a mother to come among us to accomplish the redemption, wished that his divine person should receive a body and a soul in the bosom of Mary, and that, during thirty out of thirty-three years, he should remain subject to his mother and be in a certain way formed by Mary, how can we imagine that we, poor sinful creatures, have no need of the effective aid of Mary to form us into Christians and priests. We will have, I hope, the occasion to speak more completely of this necessary influence of Mary for the sanctification of our souls, but it seemed to me necessary to evoke this condition sine qua non of our sanctification right from the beginning, in order that this study be entirely made under her protection and with her help. Tota pulcra eso, Maria, et macula non estinte. Thou art all fair, O Mary, and there is not a stain in thee. <laughs>